the first year of baby group, everybody's new at it and everything feels so big and scary. And then I had to tell them that I was divorced. I just was so ashamed. I'm a psychologist. How would anybody feel safe in my hands? I am with Dr. Lisa Pressman, who is the host of wildly popular and successful podcast, Raising Good Humans. You're like top five every week, it looks like, in the parenting category, which is phenomenal because I know what that takes. And now you have a book coming out, which is called The Five Principles of Parenting. Tell us, what do we need to know? Hi, by the way. Welcome. Hi. You make me happy every day now, ever since I discovered you. Okay, so my book is called The Five Principles of Parenting because, first of all, I was not going to write a book because I feel like there are amazing books out there and who needs to add more to parents' plates of like a stack of books where you're like, I have to get to that. And so I felt guilty. Um, But then over time, I understand that some people like to have like one place to just sort of reference things. So I decided to put what I thought like kind of everything under one roof that you might need in terms of parenting support, but not more than that. So I felt like five principles is doable, teachable, manageable, And it's all you need based on the science in order to help your kids thrive from the zero to adolescence set. I know it's a wide range, but the answer is always the same. Like if you sign up for a course, I don't even have to see that course. I know exactly what the advice is going to be. Yeah. It's going to be the same thing that it was for everything else, but just said filling in the blank of the topic at hand. Mm -hmm. And I understand that sometimes it feels like we need that. And for some people, that's awesome. Great. But for people who don't have bandwidth width for that, I wanted a book where you could finally know that it's the same set of answers translated in different ways. And I've translated it in enough ways that it becomes fluent so you could do it with other circumstances. And it's just not as much work as it seems like it is. Mm. It should not be as hard as we have made it out to be in our industry. See, this is what I like about what you do. I feel like you're looking at a human being and taking that range of emotions and experience into, you know, consideration when you're giving your advice. And it's like, here's a concept of which way you should live by now apply this across the spectrums of situations you encounter as a parent, right? Like it's, you simplify it in a way that I think takes all of this like over analyzation of every fucking moment of parenting that we're all doing now because we're over inundated with, with tips and tricks and how to's and what to say and whatever. And I, I get like sent people's books all the time, you know, and yours is one that I would actually read. So nice. Thank you. I really hope I do not add to the noise that's out there. So this is sort of a new format for the podcast, which I'm 
been switching over to, which is to ask people about like their real life personal stories. And um, we're kind of talking about it as like your big time adulting moment. And it could have been something that you went through as a child, as an adult at any point in your life. So it's your turn. (laughs) I want you to share with the people your big time adulting moment. Um, my biggest big time adulting moment probably was my divorce because it was just so very unplanned. Not that divorces are ever planned. You didn't see it coming. I just did not see it coming. And not for nothing, I thought I'm a psychologist. I would see things like that coming. I'm a developmental psychologist. I don't do things that aren't good for kids and divorce isn't good for kids. There were a lot of reasons why it was was not aligned with my plan. I started doing my baby groups. It's like a time for moms mostly to vent some stuff about the babies, but a lot of it is about like getting through the day. And this one group that I started with, like, you know, those moments when you have babies and everybody's new at it and everything feels so big and scary and then I had to tell them that I was divorced I cannot explain to you the look because they're all also hating their partners in that moment everybody's struggling to stop crying like it's not as blissful as one would think the first year of baby group And I just was so ashamed. How would anybody feel safe in my hands? Because for a very long time, I just was so ashamed. It was like having a C-section, which I also had, where I just was like, in the story of me, I had a beautiful child's birth that, you know, was very natural for me. And then I had, which I would never put that pressure on anybody else. But of course, for me, that just felt right or whatever nonsense I had in my head at the time. Mm. And this felt very much in that vein of like, I couldn't possibly know anything about developing humans or I wouldn't myself be divorced, moving back and forth, you know, all of those things. I can relate to that. I had a C-section and like very, I had three C-sections, but like the first time I very much thought I was going to just, you know, like naturally birth this baby without drugs and it was going to be beautiful and I was going to have control over it. Yeah. And I didn't. But I'm curious as to more about like that part of your relationship where, you know, you thought that everything was okay. <laughs> Did you really think everything was okay? Did you have issues or were you like, we're good, like this is life and normal ups and downs or whatever? I do think there became a point where I knew things were not okay, but not at the level of like divorce. That did not occur to me, if that makes sense. Like I could tell that there was a distancing. Mm -hmm. My kids were so little, you know, like in the long life of a relationship. There are ups, there are downs, there's boring, there's exciting, there's whatever. I just thought this was part of the down. And how long have you been divorced? I think it's been so long, I don't know, like 11 years. And how old are your kids? 14 and just about 17. So how have you now reconciled that feeling of kind of shame 
that you had as a human doctor, whatever, someone leading, you know, experiences for other people in those young life moments of marriage and raising children? How, how have you now come to terms with that feeling? I have just generally aged into a deep, true belief in good enough. Like you, you start to realize like, what was I, why would I put myself through all of those thoughts? Mm -hmm. But I will say I didn't mention on the podcast, for better or for worse, I don't really say anything about, like, my personal life much. So consciously or unconsciously, I did not mention that I was divorced until I did an episode on divorce a couple years into having the podcast. And then I was like, by the way, I should probably mention (laughs) that I'm divorced. So there must still have been a part of me as recently as whenever I started Raising Good Humans that felt like... It doesn't make people feel comfortable when they're seeking support for their parenting, whether that's because it's like, well, you did something really bad. So like your bar is too low or whether it's, you know, how well could you know people Mm -hmm. and everybody's worry, like the fear of divorce. You don't want to be near that. These are all the stories I told myself. And I think that took a long time to just age out of that mentality. Yeah, I think like there's something that happens as we get older and experience more in life and we're humbled by life around us and able to let go of our egos more and just not have that play such a role in how we reflect upon ourselves. You know, it's not, everything's not, a reflection of you and what you yes. are doing and and like like you overestimate your importance in the world and like your life and everything and sometimes things just happen. Yeah. That's right. I think that the the younger version of me thought other people were thinking way more than they were about anything going on in my life. Yeah, and we like all envision ourselves a certain way. And then when life doesn't match the vision, it's really hard to reconcile that, right? Yeah, I felt that way when my son was diagnosed, like this does not match the vision that I had for my life. And in a selfish way, because I was like, wow, his treatment's gonna last over three years. And now my life is completely stopped in its tracks. Like, right. You know, uh, this is on me. This horrible thing that's happening to him is now changing my my world, you know. So yeah. um, I've always felt like really weird even admitting that like it would sound too selfish or like self-absorbed that I would be concerned with like what how my life was changing when he was in the midst of what the really hard part of it was. But, you know, it was tough to reconcile the loss of what the life that you thought you were going to be living is. Yeah, I think that is such a nice way of putting it. It's such an upsetting thought, but a beautif- but beautifully said. It's like when you read a novel before you're pregnant versus after, mm-hmm. or before you've ever had kids versus after, or watch a movie or anything, like mm-hmm. who you identify with fully changes. There is some loss in that. It's like also beautiful. I remember reading a novel and 
being weirded out that I was not identifying with the main character anymore. I was identifying with how her mother would feel in that moment. Yes. Oh, all yes, so much so. Yes. Right? And then it's like, how did, where did this, when did this happen? Yeah. It's so weird. Who am I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this happened to you when your kids were how old? My littlest one was just under three. Mm. My oldest one was five. So then you're back in New York, restarting your life, starting a new business, pretty much. You're going back to... Going back to it. Reviving your business. And then, um, you know, single with these kids. So what was that part of your your life like as a single mom? I started dating pretty quickly. I just... Good for you. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Because I had every other weekend without my kids. Now, there's nothing good about divorce except for you get a little time to yourself that is guilt-free other Mm -hmm. than the guilt of the divorce. So four days a month. You had to yourself. To myself. So if I got invited to a birthday party for kids, I was like, I don't have my kids with me. (laughs) But my like, so what? You can still come. We want you there. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I have no interest in coming to your fucking kid's birthday party without my kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just won't be doing that. And I'll be having lunch and glass of wine somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> so I started dating on the just those every other weekends. And I never involved my kids in dating to the point where up until the pandemic, when my kids saw that I was just with them 24 hours a day. At one point, they were like, you should go on a date or something. Like, they had never mentioned it. It had never... Occurred to them? For years and years and years. I just kept it separate. I just had a dating life when I wasn't with my kids, and it was quite nice. Sounds hot. Sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) Not all awful. Once you get over the heartbreak. Once you get over the heartbreak, you know, you have like almost an adolescence again. There's something so freeing about it. I mean, I want everybody to stay married. (laughs) Yeah, I really want to stay married also. But I can see from your perspective, especially like with, you know, your situation that you deserved to go and have fun and not shrivel up and die. (laughs) Thank you. So as a flawed human, Aliza, we're all flawed, right? And we are all looking at our flaws like under a microscope as we have discussed, always paying attention to our shortcomings and, you know, where we're fucking up and, and, and not focusing on any of like the good things that we're doing hardly ever. What is your advice to us parents of young children, of teenage children, of being flawed humans trying to raise good humans. I think my advice sticks with those five principles of relationship, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair, in that as long as you have a connected relationship with your kids, with your partner, with whomever, the relationship is connected, which means that it's not about anything you know, specific and scripted or whatever. It's just, did you giggle today? Did you like have a, have a moment of really connecting and reflection, which is just kind of what, you know, thinking back, how did the, how does this, 
what we talked about before we started, you know, something that, about you that you feel like makes you have a different response to your daughter. Like that moment of reflection makes it so that you are now more aware when you respond to her or when you get annoyed by something than you would have been had you not reflected. And then, you know, regulation of just like how how can I more often than not keep myself from losing it? <laughs> and you only need to kind of grasp these more often than not, like from the science. That is a bar that is manageable. And that's what, you know, and then your kids look back and then you look back and you go, look, mo the majority of the time I had that down. The rest of the time I flew off the handle. But the majority of the time I have that down, that's enough. And then, you know, rules are just having appropriate boundaries and the clear limits and expectations. And then uh, repair, like every time you blow it, which we do all the time. There's this beautiful body of research on repair that's been around for decades and research that's been around for decades and continues to get replicated and checked. That to me is like legit research. And repair is the, re the research on repair is like you have to have discord and disrepair in order to repair and get stronger in your connections and relationships, both in parent-child and in peer and adult relationships. Mm. If I think about life on the whole and anytime I've had like a, a disruption with somebody where there's been like discourse, um, you know, contention, whatever, butting heads about things, um, disappointment, upset, whatever. And going through that like difficult moment that like feels bad, then coming full circle and making it right with that person makes me feel so much more connected to that person. So like the w number one thing that makes me feel less guilty in parenting, which is like when I fuck up or when I lose my shit, and, and, but then when I come back and say, I'm sorry that I acted that way and not feel bad that I totally lost my shit or like was a maniac two days before I was going to get my period or something like oh, like the perfect storm. And uh, I can release myself of that guilt because I know that if I do the repair that I'm getting closer to that person or to that child or whatever. Yeah, I'd even go as far as saying that if you when you do that, you're getting closer because you're strengthening the fibers of the relationship. And also you're strengthening your kid's belief that making mistakes is part of the package, part of the growth, not something they should be berating themselves over forever. So like it's such a gift when you blow it. In my like humble opinion, if you didn't and you were perfect, the burden on your kids would be too great because mm -hmm. they just grow up feeling like that's even on the table. Just like if you and your partner were always perfect, imagine your kids grow up, they get into a relationship, there's one moment of discord, they're out because they just assume that that's not part of the deal. They haven't had the modeling of rupture and repair. They've mm -hmm. only had the modeling of like, it's it's all perfect. That would be terrible for them. And um, 
And then I think if we can do that with ourselves and really forgive ourselves so that when we blow it, we're not like, I'm the worst, I'm the worst, I'm the worst. But we really are like, okay, I'm not thrilled with what I just did. But like, this is part of, I forgive myself. I just think for mothers in particular, but for everybody, it's a critical thing to understand. Yeah. I was thinking about how you react when you're, if you can think back to college or in your 20s. Are you still in your 20s? Me? Yeah. Just Are you case. serious? <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm like, what if she's like 29? <laughs> I'm 41. <laughs> Shut up. Oh my no. God. I had no idea. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> okay. So, like, thinking back in your 20s. <laughs> 20 years ago. Okay. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> so, thinking back in your dating life. If you had a moment of disconnect, like, do you remember any of your friends like getting in fights with their boyfriends or having a moment, but like a moment on a date and you see like the ones who are like, well, I'm out or the ones who aren't afraid that that fight meant, I guess they're breaking up with me. I guess I have to leave them like those little moments in your college and 20s, like where you're starting to have relationships, you really learn a lot about the experience those people had as kids Mm. with repair and disrepair. Mm. Yeah, I was so toxic in my 20s in that area, by the way. Um, I really credit, it's funny because my husband's parents separated when he was like in the fourth grade or third grade or something like that. And they maintained like a, a relationship with each other throughout his childhood where they kind of like co-parented, like they did holidays together and things like that. But it was not like, a like, you know, they were friends, but like not necessarily good for either of them as like as people right um and and my parents are also divorced so my parents divorced when I was like they separated when I was about 13 so we're both we both come from like you know separated divorced families and I always credit Mike for being like such a teammate of mine and sort of showing me the way of doing that without having had that modeled, you know, for himself. So I don't know how he knew, but he knew, you know, that that was the right way to be on that person's team and not be like, you know, the winner of an argument or the winner of, you know, whatever. It was just like support and, and, love for me you know which helped me just be able to do that for him in return um but I I wouldn't I don't know if I would have known without him showing me the example right that's so nice that's such a nice thing that you just noticed about him and how you guys could grow that together but yeah you don't know if you don't have that example so uh, easier to start with our kids than to learn, but how lucky that you found a partner like that. Mm, that's so nice. I I was on a podcast of someone 
quite young. She's 20. She's really in her 20s and very well known to young people. She said to me as she's looking for partners, like she was like, what's the most important thing I should be looking for if I want them to be a good parent? And I was like, first of all, I have no idea. (laughs) But I think watching how they make repairs would be if I if I had to put money on it, I would want to know. Now, caveat, we're not talking about people who are like crazy abusive and then apologize. That is not what I Um, But just in the normal, we're talking in the normal range here. I think that I was like, oh, you're 22. Seek out a wonderful, loving partner, but pay attention to how they make repairs with other people in their lives and with you because the the like when things are going well part is not necessarily as clear of an indicator just like when scientists study attachment relationships and whether or not a child has secure attachment back in the day, those studies aren't really done anymore. The The way that it was measured was not when the parent left the room and the kid would cry. It was measured by how the parent came back and the child received them. So it never matters how you leave. It matters how you come back together. Mm. Well, I feel better than when we began. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your story, your big time adulting moment and being vulnerable. And everyone wants to know why somebody else's life is a little fucked up because it makes us all feel better. (laughs) But this was a delight. You're a delight. You're so lovely. I watch you a lot, like in a creep, because I just learned about you this year. And I was like, This is making me laugh so much. Did you think you were going to be talking to a different type of person than you were talking to today based off of what you see on Instagram from me? No, actually. Good. You're exactly you, who you are and who I decided you were are not so far apart. (laughs) Good. Good. I feel like I show like a much softer side of myself on my podcast, you know, like this, like, you know, it's just me really the real, real me. But I hope that that also comes through on Instagram because I am usually joking or being a little outrageous. I don't know. There's something very familiar about you. It's very clear that the only reason why it's funny when you say something about the bullshit of it all or about something annoying going on with kids or whatever is because of the very clear, vulnerable, connected, honest soul that you are. I think it would not land well if you just did that, but actually we're also not this person that I've met here. Mm, Thank you for indulging me for for a moment there. (laughs) It's like, so enough about you. Let's talk about me. (laughs) Anyway, this was just wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. For more information on today's episode, visit my show notes. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a review. Now get yourself a snack.